1 Samuel 19, and while you're turning to 1 Samuel 19, also find in your Bibles the book of Psalms. We're going to be in the book of Psalms a couple of times tonight as well. We do hope it is well with your soul tonight in spite of maybe what's swirling around in your life. And uh, just a reminder that uh, for those of you that it may be an encouragement to you, the blog is out each week on a different psalm, and uh, I appreciate these guys and getting the podcasts up so quickly from Sunday and Tuesday uh, for folks to listen to and to be encouraged by God's Word. So on Tuesday night through the month of February, we're going to be studying the life of David, and We've already seen that in 1 Samuel 16, this little shepherd boy, that even his own family discounted him, that he was the one that God chose to be the future king of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. And he was being prepared to be king while he was watching those sheep all those years. Then in chapter 17, we saw his... His uh, fight with Goliath, though it wasn't much of a fight because the battle was the Lord's. And uh, he stood up for God and uh, God stood up for David. And David won a great victory over Goliath. And uh, then last week, we began to see that God brought David sort of out into the open. That, That before chapter 17, most people in Israel didn't even know who David was. It's almost like today, whenever, you know, the way the media is today, that there's an opportunity where we might not even have ever heard of this person, and overnight they become an overnight sensation, we say. Well, think about that with David. Nobody knew who David was in Israel until he slayed Goliath, and then all of a sudden he became this overnight sensation. Everybody had David on their lips. Everybody who knew... who knew what David did. Everybody was singing David's praises. And as David continued to live for the Lord, God continued to bless him. We saw last week that the Lord was with him and everything that David did, he achieved success. But because of that, we also saw last week that Saul, the king of Israel at this time, that God was taking the kingdom away from because he had turned his back on God, became very jealous and envious of David. And and to the point where Though he hadn't come right out and said it, he really wanted David to be gone. He he wanted to kill David and, and get rid of him. And some of us may wonder, if God called David to be the future king of Israel, why did God not just remove Saul right away and put David on the throne? It's a good question. Well, just like in our lives, there had to be preparation. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, and David was certainly ready to slay a giant like Goliath, but David was not yet ready to lead the people of God and be the highest influence on the people of God as the king of Israel. There needed to be more training, more preparation. And so for the next 20 years, David goes through a training process. A preparation from God for this position. It reminds all of us. All of us, I'm sure, in here probably want to serve the Lord. I would hope so. I would hope we would want to be used by God. But we need to remind ourselves, even as Christians, that the greater impact we want to have for God, 
the greater the preparation and training God will take us through. And so God was taking David through this preparation period. And part of that preparation was allowing Saul to stay in place. And, and even deal with the likes of Saul. Because David was going to learn lessons through his own pain and suffering at the hands of Saul and others that he could have never learned any other way. You and I know that lesson. We just don't like it very much. That some of the greatest lessons we've ever learned in our life, the times where we knew we were growing stronger was also some of the most difficult times in our life. And that was David. That's why we can so relate as Christians to many of the Psalms. Because David, in some ways, was speaking for us when we go through really, really dark times in our life. He was not only speaking to us, he was speaking for us. So when we read the Psalms, it's like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, or that's what I would like to say to God. And we see that here in 1 Samuel 19, where David, the future king of Israel, goes through a dark valley. And yet he's going to be reminded that the Lord was with him even through the valley of the shadow of death. Then Saul, 1 Samuel 19, 1, told his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. The ruse was over. No longer was Saul satisfied just to try to nail David to the wall with a spear and you know, maybe do something underhanded at the hand of the Philistines to get rid of David. No, now it was just all out in the open. His hatred had grown so much that he was consumed by the fact that he wanted David to be gone. Saul's son, Jonathan, did tell David this because he liked David very much. So Jonathan told David, my father Saul is trying to kill you. Can you imagine, first of all, I don't know about you. I've had people hate me. In fact, the best one probably was back in Maryland. Someone called me the Antichrist. Um, But I, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever had somebody want to kill me. Knowingly. David did. And then think about Jonathan. Here was Saul's son. I'm sure he loved his dad. But at some point in Saul's life, his own son saw his father turn his back on God and go down a very dark path. And now Jonathan, this young man, probably in his late 20s, early 30s, he has to make a tough choice. He has to choose between God and his own father. Because Jonathan knows that God's choice is David, not his father. So, wow. You ever been in those situations where you had to make a tough choice? Then we can also relate with Jonathan. My... Father Saul is trying to kill you, so be careful tomorrow morning. He, first of all, (coughs) excuse me, 
find a hiding place and stay in seclusion. This is a very strong Hebrew word, the word for hiding place here. It means a shelter or a protection. And what David learned about finding this hiding place during this very dark time in his life, he wrote about many times in the Psalms, and I'd like to share a couple of them with you tonight. <coughs> Excuse me. All of a sudden, my throat is terrible. Psalm 32.3, would you turn there, please? I'm sorry, Psalm 32.7. I can't see anymore. Psalm 32, verse 7. I get choked up and then look what happens to me. Thank you. The verses that we're going to be looking at in the Psalms tonight, it's the same Hebrew word that Jonathan uses to talk to David about finding the hiding place. So notice what David writes in Psalm 32, verse 7. He says to God, you are my hiding place. You are my shelter, my protection. You protect me from distress. By the way, the word distress in the Hebrew language means being pressed together. It was a word that was used to press olives, oil out of olives and wine out of grapes. You ever felt like you were being pressed, <laughs> squeezed? Put in a narrow, tight place. That's the concept of distress. You surround me with shouts of joy from those celebrating deliverance. Selah. Stop and think about that. Is the Lord our hiding place tonight? Psalm 32, verse 7. Then Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. As for you, the one who lives in the shelter of the Sovereign One and resides in the protective shadow of the Mighty King, I say this about the Lord, my shelter and my stronghold, my God in whom I trust. And then one other, Psalm 119, verse 114. Psalm 119, verse 114. Now there are other instances where... This term for hiding place is used in the Old Testament and even in the book of Psalms. I just picked out three tonight. Psalm 119, 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I find hope in your word. When Jonathan told David, my father Saul is trying to kill you. Find a hiding place. Find a shelter, a protection. David had to learn that really the only shelter, the only true protection, the only security, the only refuge that he could find was God. And he learned in the years of running for his life that God could truly be trusted in ways that he never would have ever been able to discover had he not went through the pain of having Saul try to kill him. I can say that in my life. I saw the faithfulness of God in ways I could have never seen His faithfulness 
had I not went through times in my life that were very, very dark. And David is sharing that same experience with us tonight. Then Jonathan says back in 1 Samuel 19, verse 3, I will go and stand beside my father in the field where you are. The word stand there means to take a stand. In fact, Jonathan goes on to say, I'm going to, in verse 4, speak to my father on David's behalf. Again, Jonathan had to make a choice. Is there someone here tonight that God is saying, you know what? There's a time to take it. And then there's a time to take a stand. And maybe for someone here tonight, it's time for you to take a stand against someone. Just like Jonathan did. It's time maybe that God wants you to speak to someone on someone else's behalf. Like Jonathan did for David with his father. He goes on to say, The king should not sin against his servant David, for he's not sinned against you. On the contrary, his actions have been very beneficial for you. He risked his life when he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord gave all Israel a great victory. When you saw it, you were happy. So why should you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death for no reason? And Saul, the Bible says, consented or accepted Jonathan's advice and took an oath. And said, as surely as the Lord lives, he will not be put to death. You don't have to turn there tonight. But I want to read you these verses out of the book of Ecclesiastes. The reason I want to read these is because of the Bible saying that Saul took an oath. He swore. He vowed. God takes our vows very seriously. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, here's what the writer says. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 5, it is better for you not to vow than to vow and not pay it. God takes what we say very seriously. Saul made a vow to God that he would not lift up his hand against David. Now, you and I know because we know the rest of the story. Guess what? Didn't, didn't mean too much. It reminds us that when someone is not walking with God or walking in fellowship with them, you really can't trust everything they say. And that was true of Saul. Then Jonathan called David and told him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he served him as he had done formerly. And I'm sure this heartened the heart of Jonathan. He, he so wanted his father and his best friend to get along, wouldn't we all? And once again there was war. So David went out to fight the Philistines and he defeated them thoroughly and they ran away from him. And then an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. Did you notice in this study of the life of David, Saul always has a spear in his hand? 
If someone was to ask me, what do you associate Saul with? In my study of the Word of God, I'd say, a spear. That's what was always in his hand. He was always throwing spears at other people. And then God spoke to me and said, Jeff, what do people associate with you when they think of you? And are you someone that always has a spear in your hand ready to throw it at somebody else? We must not be like Saul. Notice David always had a harp or lyre in his hand. And the Bible says in verse 10, Saul tried to nail David to the wall with the spear, but he escaped from Saul's presence and the spear drove into the wall. God supernaturally protected David and David escaped quickly that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to guard it and to kill him in the morning. And I want you to keep that phrase in mind in verse 11, because at the end of our study tonight, we're going to go to a psalm that David wrote out of that experience of, of being in his home and knowing that Saul was sending men to guard the house and then kill him in the morning. So remember that for a little bit later on. Then the Bible said David's wife, Michal, told him, if you do not save yourself tonight, tomorrow you will be dead. So Michal lowered David through the window and he ran away and escaped. Reminds us of the way the spies got out in the book of Joshua. The way Peter got out in the book of Acts. Then Michal took a household idol and put it on the bed. Whoa. A family idol? What's she doing with an idol? I don't want to take too long to get into this, but this just is a, a reminder that Michal's relationship with God wasn't like David's. She still was carrying over some of the idolatry that her own father Saul had gotten into and influenced her with. And it reminds us sometimes that, you know, whether it's in a marriage with our spouse or with friends or family members or whatever, we don't all share the same fellowship with God. And even though they were husband and wife, she didn't quite share the commitment to Jehovah that David did. She put a quilt made of goat's hair over its head, covered the idol with the garment, and you're going to see her start to lie. And I don't believe God ever blesses a lie, even if it's for good intentions. When Saul sent messengers to arrest David, he, she said, he's sick, verse 14. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me on his bed so I can kill him. And when the messengers came, they found only the idol on the bed and the quilt made of goat's hair at its head. It was like she was pretending, you know, there was a body in the bed. So Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me this way by sending my enemy away? I want you to focus there on his words. My enemy. Has the Bible told us anything that David has done but good for Saul? No. David has never done anything bad against Saul. And yet Saul calls David his enemy. You and I have been there. There have been times in our life where we didn't do anything wrong. And yet, someone cooks up in their own mind that we're against them. We're the enemy.
then we can relate to David. Because that's exactly where David's at. He's dumbfounded. Not only does Saul hate him, Saul wants to kill him and for no good reason. So the next time we have people slander us and gossip about us and say things that aren't true and all of that, we can understand where David comes from. We can understand why it's so important to have a hiding place. God. Because He can be that refuge for us when tongues begin to wag. And when people's hearts begin to go awry. Now he has escaped, Saul said. Mishal replied to Saul, He said to me, help me get away or else I will kill you. David never said that. But again, she's trying now to protect herself against her own father. And David ran away and escaped. And notice where he went or who he went to. He went to Samuel in Ramah and told him everything that Saul had done to him. This reminded me, when things begin to go bad in our life, who do we run to? And I, I mean, the obvious answer is yes, we should run to God. But here's a great illustration too of, you know who the person is that's in touch with God. That's usually who people run to. Isn't that true even about unsaved people? They go through a crisis in their life. They're going to look up a Christian who prays. And many of them, hey, could you pray for me? They might not even know God, but they know who knows God and who's in touch with God. And so they're going to seek you out during those really tough times in their life. David knew that Samuel was the prophet of God and that he was in touch with God. And I'm sure, too, he went to Samuel because he's like, Samuel, uh, you're the prophet of God who had not anointed me the future king of Israel. It's not going very well, Samuel. I didn't think it was supposed to be like this. I thought I was supposed to be the future king of Israel and I'm running for my life. One of the things I've learned in the Bible and in my own life is that many times you and I as human beings, as Christians, will go through what I call the death of our dreams. We're, we're pretty sure that this is what God wants us to do and this is what God has planned. But if you look at where my life is right now, you just don't see it. Joseph was a great example. of that. God gave him a dream that he would be a great ruler one day. And I'm sure he was sitting there scratching his head as he sat in prison, unjustly gone. What's up with that? And that's where God builds trust and faith and strength into us because He doesn't want us to walk by sight. He wants us to learn to walk by faith in His Word and in His promises. And He wants us to be able to trust in what He said even if everything in our lives looks just the opposite. And that's exactly where David was. I'm supposed to be the king of Israel. I don't even think I'm going to be alive tomorrow. How can this be? And again, we've all been there. We can all relate. Because there's always been those seasons in our life and times in our life where we sort of thought that we knew what God's plan was and where He was taking us. But if you looked at our life right now and everything that we were going through, it would say just the opposite. That was David. That was David. And so he went to Samuel. And Saul, I'm going to skip over here because we're not going to get through all this if I don't. Saul found out where David was. And this last part of chapter 19 is such a powerful 
portion of Scripture because it reminds us of the power of the Spirit of God and how the Spirit of God will overwhelm and will protect and, and will just confound and overrule the plans and schemes of men. Because what happened was, when Saul found out that that's where David was with the prophets up there at the school of prophets that Samuel had, he sent a group of, I think, 50 men up there to capture him, his deputies. Verse 20, And when they saw a company of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's messengers, and they also prophesied. They fell under divine influence, and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't capture David. They couldn't bring him back to kill him. They were overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit of God. Verse 21, when it was reported to Saul, he sent more messengers. I think another group of 50. And guess what? They prophesied too. They could not overcome the power of the Spirit. So Saul sent messengers a third time, and they also prophesied. And I think what God, the Spirit, was saying to Saul is, Saul, back off. Saul, you're going to lose this because I'm protecting David. And you're not going to get to David even though you want to so badly. And it was almost like the Spirit of God was saying, can't you learn, Saul? Can't you learn that you're not going to succeed in this? You are just continuing to sort of butt your head and you're not going to make any progress. Why don't you just give up chasing after David and trying to kill him? But Saul was so stubborn at this point. He was so consumed with hatred that no matter how many roadblocks God put up in Saul's way, Saul kept going on. So finally, verse 22, Saul himself went to Ramah. It was almost like Saul, you know, you, you can just hear him. You know, if you want something done, you've got to do it yourself. I sent 150 men up there, and they, they keep prophesying. They keep being overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. They're not doing what I told them. So I'm going to go up. I'm going to take care of this. And the Bible says, when he arrived at a large cistern that is in Siku, he asked, where are Samuel and David? And they said, at Naoth and Ramah. So Saul went to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him as well. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He even stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel, and he lay there naked all that day and night. Literally, the language is that he was cast down. He was laid bare. He was stripped. He was humbled by God. This is a great example in the Old Testament of if I'm not willing to humble myself before God, God will humble me. And it's so much worse whenever God has to humble me than I humble myself. And that's where Saul was at. He was being humbled by God. He, he was so close to David. He could have reached out and touched him, but the Spirit of God would not permit him. The Spirit of God overwhelmed Saul. And in a sense, struck him down. And then in fact, at the end, they said, is Saul also among the prophets? Don't think he's a prophet, is he? But he's doing a lot of prophesying, laying around there naked, <laughs> on the ground. So the Bible says in chapter 20, David fled from Naoth and Ramah and he came to Jonathan. Why? Why did he, why did he leave the protection of Samuel and, and, and Naoth and Ramah? I don't know. Why do we do the things we do when sometimes 
we start to get caught up in our circumstances. And, and in chapter 20 and 21 and 22, next week we're going to see that even the great David, the one who had so much trust in God that he could slay a giant like Goliath, also went through a season where he started to, he started to get his eyes off of his God and onto his circumstances. And we've all been there. And I think one of the other reasons why David went back to Jonathan was I think he wanted to see, has Jonathan bought into the lies that everyone is telling him about me? I want to know, is Jonathan still my friend? And remember last week we said how God brought Jonathan into David's life. And what a friend Jonathan was. We can all use friends like Jonathan. He was... So loyal to David. He loved him so much. And we're going to see that here again tonight in the few minutes that we have left. Jonathan, well, David said in verse 1, you know, what have I done? What is my offense? How have I sinned before your father? He's seeking my life. And Jonathan said, by no means are you going to die. Jonathan kept saying, David, God promised you the throne. God will protect you. God will see you through. But see, at this point, David, running for his life like any of us in these circumstances, we can begin to get our eyes, sort of like Peter, off of the Lord and onto the water and the waves and the storm. And David, no different. He began to look at his circumstances. And Jonathan went on to say, look, if my father is going to do anything, he'll tell me. He tells me everything he's going to do. And then David said, yeah, but your father knows how much you like me. Verse 3. And he knows. So he's, he's not going to tell you everything because he knows that we have this relationship. Notice what, jo- what David says at the end of verse 3. As surely as the Lord lives and you live, there is about one step between me and death. Wow. David really thinks he's going to die, that he's that close to death. And it shows how his faith is being shaken by these ongoing circumstances. Many times as Christians, we can hang in there and we can be strong for a while, but when things start to drag out too long, that's when we really are tested. And even David, same thing. It's one thing to have a few spears thrown at me in the palace, but man, this on the run and running for my life and everything. I'm one step from death, David says to Jonathan. But Jonathan replied to David, tell me then what I can do for you. What a great friend. Why do I say that? Because even though David's fears were unfounded, Jonathan didn't lecture David on, well, David, you're just not trusting in God, whatever. He said, what can I do for you? What can I put in motion? What can I make happen to make you feel better, David? What a friend. If there's something I can do, David, I'll do it. And so David says to Jonathan, here's what what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go to your father. He's going to expect me to meal. I'm going to cut through most of chapter 20. And if I'm not there and it doesn't bother your father, then we'll know that maybe he's calmed down and everything will be okay. But if he gets upset and angry because I'm not there, then I'll know that he still is consumed with hunting me down and killing me. And so he says, let's set this in motion. When your father comes, let's see how he reacts and 
all of that. And then even Jonathan said, here's what we'll do. Because you've got to stay in hiding till I find out what my father's going to do. So let's meet back in this field three days from now. And when you come back and I come back three days from now, here's the sign I'm going to give you. I'm going to shoot three arrows up in the air. If I shoot them short of you, if, I, if they don't go beyond you, then that means it's okay for you to come back. It's safe. If I shoot my arrows long and they go beyond you, then that means get out of here. Because my father is still out to kill you. So to condense all this, I want you to notice here in verse 14 that Jonathan says, Why I'm still alive, extend to me the loyalty of the Lord or else I will die. Don't ever cut off your loyalty to my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan knew what the future held. And he was asking David to just simply remember him. But he stuck close to David. You know, the Bible says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jonathan was better than any family member David could ever have. And then the Bible also says there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And certainly Jesus is the greatest example of that. But Jonathan was laying down his life for his friend David. We all could use a friend like Jonathan. In fact, notice in verse 17, Jonathan once again took an oath with David because he loved him. In fact, Jonathan loved him as much as he did his own life. And so he tells David, stay here at the end of verse 19, near the stone easel. The word easel means departure. It was the stone of David's destiny. He would come back out to that stone and he would watch and see which way the arrows went as to what his future held. And the reason I want to stop here for a moment is we've all been in that place in our life where things are out of our control. We're just waiting to see what happens so we know what to do next. And that was David. When he went out there to that stone on that third day and just sat there to wait for the arrows to fly, He didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what was going to happen. His future was literally totally up in the air. Would he go back or would he leave? And think about it. If David had to leave, which we're going to see in a minute, he did because Saul still was hunting him down. David had to leave his wife, Michal, who loved him very much. He was going to have to leave his best friend on earth, Jonathan. He was going to have to leave everyone and everything behind that he knew in order to stay away from Saul. And for the next 10 years, David wrote some of the most amazing psalms in the Word of God because of this experience. Well, let me get to the end. So at the end, the Bible basically says that Jonathan found out that His father was still out to kill David. And so when he got out to the field, he shot the arrows way beyond David. And David knew that meant it was time to go. He had to keep on the run or else Jonathan's father, Saul, was going to kill him. 
So Jonathan told the young man who brought the arrows with him, he said, you go on back. I need to speak with my friend, my dear friend, one last time. And so in verse 41, after he tells the young servant to go back and take these things back to the city, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, when the servant had left, David got up from beside the mound, knelt with his face to the ground and bowed three times. That was an act of worship and humility. It wasn't the answer David wanted. But even in his struggle to maintain his faith at this point, it was like, just like the song we sang, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I guess I'm going to still be on the run for a while. And then they kissed each other. And they both wept. Guys, it's okay to cry. Trust me, I do it all the time. But notice this. They both wept, especially David. Jonathan said to David, well, I'm going to stop there for just a second. I don't think David ever had a friend like Jonathan. Jonathan never had a friend like David either, but I think David just couldn't get over the friendship I mean, to think that Jonathan was second in line. He grew up in the palace. David grew up in the sheep pasture. They were so different in so many ways, and yet what brought them together was their love for God and their love for each other. And then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Very interestingly, as I studied that word in the Hebrew, I found out that the origin of that word also means friendship. So not only was Jonathan telling David to go in peace, but also go knowing that I'm still with you. I'm the friend that goes with you even though physically we're not together. I'll always be with you. Michael W. Smith wrote a song many years ago. If the Lord, if, if, what is it? Friends are friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them. That was certainly true of Jonathan and David. For the two of us have sworn together in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord will be between me, literally amongst us, in our midst, and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. We're going to see in a couple weeks that they only see each other on this earth one more time after this. That's a powerful meeting in a couple weeks we're going to see. But in closing tonight, I want to take you to a psalm. The psalm that David wrote when Saul sent those messengers to kill him at his own home. Psalm 59. Maybe this psalm will have even deeper and richer meaning for you when you know the background of the psalm. And I'm not going to read the entire psalm. Psalm 59, I just want to read the first four verses and then the last two verses. And you'll see the familiar hiding place and shelter theme at the end as well. Notice what David says in verse 1 of Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who attack me. Deliver me from evildoers. 
Rescue me from violent men. For look, they wait to ambush me. Powerful men stalk me. But not because I've rebelled or sinned, O Lord. Though I have done nothing wrong, they are anxious to attack. Spring into action and help me. Take notice of me. And then verses 16 and 17. As for me, I will sing about your strength. I will praise your loyal love in the morning, for you are my refuge and my place of shelter when I face trouble. You are my source of strength. I will sing praises to you. For God is my refuge, the God who loves me. What great words. Even at a really tough time in David's life. David hadn't gotten there yet, but he was learning that even when all the circumstances of life seem to be against me, I know I have a God who loves me and who's my refuge. Even in those times in my life where everyone seems to be against me, and David was literally running for his physical life, he was learning that God was his shelter, his protection, his hiding place. I hope tonight that maybe there's someone here tonight, you're, you're going through, maybe not exactly what David went through, but you're going through something similar. I hope the words of 1 Samuel and the words of the Psalms tonight have been an encouragement to you. We have the greatest friend we could ever have in God. And then God blesses us with friends like Jonathan. We must praise Him for who He is and for the friends that He brings into our lives who stick with us through thick and thin. Let's pray. God, we don't like pain. We don't like suffering and trials. We don't like it when the circumstances of our life seem to be so against us. But Lord, as we've seen tonight, You never promise us, even a servant like David, that if I choose to follow You, that everything's going to go well for me. What You do promise us is that You're going to take these circumstances and You are going to bring good for us out of it. That You're going to make us stronger. That You're going to enable us to trust in You in a deeper way than we ever have before. And that we're going to come out the other side like David did and like Job and like so many others better than what we were before. We're going to learn to trust You and see You and see Your faithfulness in ways we could never see it any other way than to go through some of the darkest valleys 
that life can bring. So God, thank You. Thank You that the Bible's so real and so relevant and that what these Bible characters went through in many ways we can relate to. And thank You that You're the same God. You're the same God today for us that You were for David. You truly can be our shelter, our protection, our refuge. Because You love us. And You won't keep us from trials and tribulation, but You'll certainly keep us through the trials and tribulations of life. And so God, help us to cling to these promises tonight. To meditate upon Your Word. And to find a strength in You that we can find in no one else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here tonight. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on Sunday.